Clay, this is an interesting episode because I'm always unsure how to start these podcasts. But this one, I wanted to mention that the Klingon admiral person, the sort of main villainous Klingon in this, who's coming in on the three ships at the very end of Divergence, he might be my favorite Klingon actor in a very long time. He has one yeah. scene where he's sitting in his chair and the camera pulls in on his face. It looks, it looks uh, like... Macbeth on his throne or something. He's sitting very, very purposefully, and I'm not even. I'm not even. It sounds like I'm being sarcastic, but I really like the way he played the Klingon. The way he's eating the worms, the way he's like just sitting at his desk, the way he yells at the guy who's in Section Thirty One, and then the way he's sitting in that chair. Small praise, it seems, but I thought I wanted to highlight it. Yeah, the uh, I also noticed the lighting of that close up because it was it was very good. It uh, excuse me. Uh, it really <clears throat> threw some pretty. They really threw some some really nice shadows off of the uh, dramatic shadows off of the ridges and cre- you know crevices of his face there. <clears throat> and I, I've one of the best things a, a, an actor can do when you're trying to be um, sort of uh, play up the bad guy angle is to have food to eat. Yeah. For some reason, delivering menacing dialogue while eating food is instant great bad guy business just makes sure you why. uh you just don't you don't like to have you don't like to experience other people eating food there's the people who like eat food on podcasts and stuff like that it's like this is revolting this is disgusting it's too too much yeah it gives you something to do i suppose great villains of uh there's a youtube video for you great villains great villains of um eating history and stuff like that we're up to divergence which is the 16th, 16th episode of the fourth season of Star Trek Enterprise. came out on February 25th, 2005. It is two of two in the Klingon Augment Virus arc, five of nine in the Augment arc, two of four in Section 31 in the 22nd Century arc. It was written by Judith and Garfield Reeves-Stevens, directed by David Barrett in University is December 2154. In this episode called Divergence, with Columbia's help, the Enterprise crew grapples with sabotage to their ship as they pursue the truth behind the kidnapping of flocks. I'm very excited that we get to have two more episodes of Section 31 stuff because it was my favorite part of this episode. (laughs) I believe they come in the last series before the finale if i'm not mistaken they are involved in that mm-hmm. one so the, the final wrap-up arc i think we have two left um yeah we're not done with section 31 not by a long shot although no one's ever really done with section 31 wes what's really interesting about <clears throat> do i want to start here with section 31 what's really interesting about section 31 as they keep trying to bring them back and make them do things is that Boy, this guy's performance really highlight like, not even the performance, the, the way that this guy, I think his name is Harris, the way that this guy is portrayed and written and conceived really just makes, it's like every Section 31 thing that they try to do after DS9 is to make Sloan look even more badass than he was in that show. This guy's, does this guy seriously have a Vader says I'm altering the terms of the deal argument with the Klingon and he's like, wait a minute. <laughs> You can't you can't do that to me. I'm section 31. They I might have blacked out. They that was not part of the plan, right? Or was it by the end of the episode? Where section did section 31 know that they were going to do that and that was part of their plan by the end of it or was he legitimately surprised that that had happened? I I don't know. Um <clears throat> there's a bit of princess bride tea switching logic going on with their plan, I think. Um because I wasn't sure at the end what exactly was part of the plan, if everything was part of the plan, if what you're saying, that's that scene where they changed the agreement was part, or if it wasn't. Um, I don't know. I <clears throat> I, I kind of don't like it when, when that is brought up as like an explanation of, of plot mechanics, because it, it always feels too, too convenient and cheap for me. Um, well, what do you mean so specifically? Like the ending where it's the the idea like at the end the the shadowy person steps out and goes it all happened exactly the way we wanted it to happen it's like okay so literally anything could have happened in this story and then that guy comes out and says that's the way we wanted it to happen and you know whatever yeah um 
But yeah, I don't know because it doesn't seem like um, <clears throat> that was part of the plan. It, it, what would have been great to signal that it was part of the plan is if Harris gave the uh, the Willy Wonka line reading where the guy's like, I'm changing the parameters of the agreement. And he just goes, no, don't. <laughs> Please don't do that. You'll, you'll really get us in a bind, Mr. Klingon. Please I, don't I, put us in that position. I think Section 31 is just, um, I think the show should just stop using them at this point. It's clear yeah. that they, they don't have a function. Um, I don't think there's really anything different in this episode that we didn't talk about affliction that is bothersome about Harris did there. It's funny because maybe a better way to, to start this is to go super broad at first. So apparently this episode is one of Manny Cotto's favorite from the se- the season. And Interesting. I think that he I think he was saying that he likes this arc the most out of the arcs that they did in the season. I'm um I'm intrigued by this arc because I might also say that this is my favorite arc that the season has done so far. Mm-hmm. But it's I wouldn't say it's akin to seeing a car like a car crash wreck and driving by it and being intrigued by it. But it's like, it feels like you're just about to see the cars spin out of control on the highway. There's like this excitement Mm -hmm. to being like, oh man, this is, this is going to be, this is going to go bad all of a sudden. And what I, what I feel is like, this is a, um, this is peak enterprise in the franchise floundering at what Star Trek is supposed to be going forward, I think. And we'll start with that point with, the opening action sequence here had me both tremendously excited and going, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> what, what, what is yes, this? What yeah. is this sequence? I existed just on the side where I could not suspend my disbelief at what was going on. And it kind of took me out of the episode because of how strange that was. But at the same time, it feels like it's the show trying to up the action ante and be like, can Star Trek do yeah. stuff like this? Is this going to actually work? Yeah. I walked away from it going, you know, I've never thought about the logistics of warp speed, really. I just accept that as the way that the ships get from planet to planet. But once we go, once I see a guy outside the ship and I go, they're going unbelievably fast. They're going like ridiculously mm. fast. And I don't. Five, five times faster than the speed of light. I, I, I think it's even faster because it's supposed to be algorithmic. Like it's like an exponential growth of that. So it's not just five times. It's like, it's probably hundreds of times the speed oh, really? of light. So I just, I see things like that and I'll throw it to you with just like at the end of that sequence, a bunch of shit falls out of the enterprise and it like flies off into space. And I was thinking about the physics of that. Like if some metal just started going the speed of light, what would it look like? <laughs> And I don't think it would look like that whatsoever. And I know this is a really stupid complaint, but it it was interesting to me that that is what Star Trek has to do to really make me go, this is not, this is not plausible. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was thinking about it too, because I I was, I was trying to rationalize it in my head and I I was thinking, well, I mean... I guess they're kind of operating because my thought was is because he gets onto the line there, the the grappler line, uh, which Reed shoots ship to ship, no problem, yeah. bullseye <laughs> um, at warp factor five. Um, and I and I was like, well, once he and you know he's three quarters way up the thing and it starts shaking and starts ripping stuff off, and I was thinking, why didn't they just retract the line? when he grabbed onto the right, line. Pull him in. Yeah, but I guess based on what happens with the shit that falls out, like if it's not tacked down, it's going to he's gonna pull up and go, He <laughs> just you slams know? into the top of the Enterprise. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what I was assumed they were working on was the premise of if you are inside something that is moving that quickly or connected to it, you like you are by proxy, also moving that quickly, yeah. so there's no speed. I, I think. The, I think the and warp since in, bubble. In space, there's no drag. Yeah, the warp bubble is supposed <clears throat> to signify that. I think. Like, so if you are inside the bubble, it's basically like you're hanging outside of a 
like a slow moving car or something like that. You are going yeah. that fast. It's just it. I found it hard to buy into, but I interrupted you. Like that. That's my operating assumption too. Is that once you're in the field, it doesn't act as if you're mm-hmm. going that fast. Yeah, and and so my first thought then was, well, he this shouldn't be a, a problem. He should be able to do this kind of like pretty easily, uh, especially if he's going through space where there's no gravity. He should be able to just you know, yep, schlep himself up that rope pretty quick. <clears throat> Basically, my point is, um. It also made me think too much about what they were doing and what the plausibility of it was. And as I was thinking about it, I was like, I, I mean, it. <clears throat> I guess it kind of makes sense. Like, it doesn't make enough. It doesn't not make sense for me enough to really hate it. But at the same time, I do think it's. Yeah, I, I do agree that it's like. All right, when you're doing a a, a Top Gun belly to belly warp five person transport via a a, a, a steel cable yeah. um maybe we're stretching the boundaries of 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 what is acceptable here however <clears throat> i will say what that scene and the following scene where trip fixes the engine did say to me is i do think that they are pushing the boundaries of what is acceptable and what they can do in star trek specifically i guess on tv because they're not doing movies because as i was watching both of those scenes i was thinking this feels like it would be right at home in the jj abrams trek movies i thought the stunt film discovery like actually sure yeah yeah, that too but and i don't i don't necessarily mean that to i don't mean that as a detriment necessarily but i mean like that what they did in those sequences was big enough action that I feel like it would make perfect sense to be like a third act problem in a movie where it's like they can really go big. But since they're on, you know, UPN, um, when he gets up into the thing and he's got to turn, he's got to unplug and replug in the engine, reboot the motor. um, It's just like, yeah, he kind of jumps up onto the top and he kind of flips something. Some sparks go off and he jumps off and then a fireball comes out. And it's like, yeah, I guess it works. But it feels like the uh, <clears throat> grandiosity of everything is a little bit muted by the uh, uh, the medium that they're delivering it through. Yeah. Um, but I didn't. Yeah, I, I was the same. I didn't. I actually really enjoyed that sequence. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know if it's <laughs> I know, I know. if it's uh, the most Star Trek thing they've ever done. Let's put it that yeah, way. Yeah, it, it, to me, it just it really feels like them trying to do. It it really feels like this series, this franchise, is now trying to figure out what you do with this stuff. Like, where do you go? Is it do you do you focus on the Enterprise action sequences? I was just like, well, the ships are. It comes at, like even before that when the ships are like getting into missionary position or whatever as they're about to start this whole thing. <laughs> I'm I'm sitting there going, they're going so unbelievably fast that if you miscalculate yeah. this, they will crash into each other. Like there, there's no yeah, and it sounds really stupid, but it, it it was one of these things that were like once I see this in action and how this plot is supposed to work. I was really, it really, I just have to say it again, how much it took me out of it and be like, I can't believe this is actually happening. This seems like such a strange decision. I've never <laughs> seen anything like this on Star Trek. I've never, I've never even yeah. seen anybody outside the ship when the ship is going quickly and that kind of, st- uh, that kind of a thing. And so it took me out of it. Um, I would agree with you, like the, the sequence where Trip reboots the ship is another sort of movie dramatic aspect where it's, it's techno babble that is ultimately very simple to do, but the stakes are built into just turn the thing off and then wait for the counter to go down and then boot it back up and everything's right, fixed. Yeah. Um, wasn't really, I don't know. It, it's hard to describe it. It it felt exciting while I was watching it, but at the same time, I was just thinking this feels very much how I could see Michael Burnham doing this stunt instead of Trip. And Discovery mm-hmm. would benefit from a bigger budget where it looks like you're like more caught up in the spectacle of everything. But at the end of the day, well, it, it doesn't. It, it, it doesn't feel like it's. It doesn't feel like it's a story-driven problem that is interestingly solved in a Star Trekky way that I'd be accustomed to. It's it's sort of the the uh, 
predecessor of the scene in Into Darkness where Kirk and Khan go uh, space illusioning down the space body junk. surfing, yeah, yeah. Uh, ship to ship. Um, and I mean, I remember liking that scene in the movie, um, but yeah, it's it's not really wouldn't call it a Star Trek scene. Yeah. Yeah. So much. And they do it in they they do it in Discovery cuz what is it the I think the beginning of the last season, right? Uh uh was last season the one with the future. That's the the future. The, the, during the thousand years in the future is our last season. What se- what season was the one with the 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 Kelpian who that was last yeah, season, so right? Yeah, so yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> oh no, I'm sorry. It's season 2 cuz cuz Pike was there. When they when they like the three of them uh go basically it's basically the exact same scene from in the darkness only there's like four of them mm-hmm. going through asteroids or something right. one of the red shirts gets blown up yep um, oh that's when they're in like the little shuttles the little maneuverable shuttles is that what you're talking about yeah, yeah. yes yeah um <clears throat> but yeah it is it is weird because it is i don't know it's it's a it's it's a kind of it's a kind of action that that feels really out of place just seeing what the things are what the ships are doing like like i i I agree i think there's a certain suspension of disbelief to the physics of everything where it's like yeah no the ships go faster than light they exist in a warp shell yeah sure whatever yeah i don't care uh just that's good enough for me and then when you start breaching each other's warp shells and they're (laughs) upside down and they're you know touching butts with each other while trip shimmies up a rope at five warp factor five i don't know performing aft to mouth captain (laughs) (laughs) mayweather mayweather performing that most dangerous of maneuvers very good um yeah and i mean i guess i guess the warp shell prevents this but like if a if a speck of dust had right hit, if it hits trip he's going to explode <laughs> yeah, <he'll> explode. <laughs> but i guess i mean i guess that's the point of the warp shell is to yeah to dodge it that from happening yeah yeah um so yeah it's it's one of those things where it's like if you if you think about it it's gonna ruin it but i think if you can kind of let it slide, then it won't. Well, I'm sure if, if people, there's probably someone who listens to us who has memorized the Star Trek technical manual, and they go, actually, this is legitimate, like, with everything that we know about these ships, sure. this is, like, legitimately possible to do. I I think it's the, what ties it into my sort of pushing it in a way, it's like, I've never seen anything close to what they try to do in this, in Star Trek before. Like, this, yeah, is, this yeah. is such a jump into an area that I'm like, I didn't realize this was even... <clears throat> possible i didn't realize the ships could get so close to each other at at warp and stuff like that i've always even in things like um into darkness when the ship is chasing the other ship at warp and it's shooting it and it takes the enterprise out of warp that way i still have this sort of like artistic thing where i'm like the ships aren't really that close like uh, from from the perspective of film they want us to look like but they're really not all that close to each other but here there's no avoiding what they're trying to do with it so anyway let's move it's good it really is the culmination of my issue with all of TV televised Star Trek, which is they always have two ships on the screen at the same time, yeah. and it makes it look like they are about 25 feet away from each other, even though they're supposed to be like two miles away from right. each other. But in this case, they really are like 25 <laughs> feet away from <laughs> they're each very other. Close. And yeah, even as it's pulling apart the rope holds. Anyway, so what are your general thoughts about divergence here? We Avoiding that uh, the first action sequence. The rest of the episodes, what did you think? Uh, I, I liked it. I liked this, this two-parter. I think this, um, <clears throat> I don't know. I, I thought maybe it was because we talked about it so much in the last episode, but the uh, smooth forehead Klingon of it all really stood out to me in this one because they really kind of lean into that towards the end where they have the infected Klingons uh bemoaning the fact that they're going to look like this forever and they're going to be outcasts and blah, they're weaker blah. they actually bring that, up the fact that they're yeah. they're weak, weaker and more um human-like i assume in a, an attempt to explain why the tos klingons are not always beating their chests about honor and stuff like that mm, yeah um yeah i it felt like they were putting a bit of a two two bit of, uh, it felt like they were putting a bit of a 
too much of a fine point on things. My brain is not working here. Yes, there we go. Um, and by leaning into it so much, uh, when I think the just the humanity or the just the empathy of it all was probably enough, and especially going into the 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 back half of it, where now, uh, I really liked flocks having to lie to the uncle phil klingon and then from there they don't have time because they're going to get blown up so they have to inject four people with this stuff like that stuff was all good that was 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 my favorite thing yeah i'm surprised by how the injecting the four klingons wrapped up because i thought for sure that the the friend of of flocks was going to die in that and that would be his sort of like i created this and this is my outcome for it but instead he just gets Mm -hmm. the smooth head thing out of it and I don't know. Like, I guess my problem with this in general is that if it's not a complaint that's unoriginal to Enterprise, uh, really, but I feel like there's ideas in here that I go, this would be a good thing to focus on, but the episode doesn't really want to focus on it. And right. Divergence feels in a way that, even though it's only a two-parter, it reminds me of the other three-parters in that all of the wrap-up episodes to these arcs feel like they end kind of the same way with just a difference being on what the plot of the episode is. They're all action finales. You know, it's all, it's, it's all stuff like this. And while, while sequence, it's all time, timetable stuff. Yeah. Well, while sequences are kind of fun and like Archer getting injected, Archer being strapped to the chair and having to go through the thing to serve as an incubator for the virus. You're like, this is kind of cool. But then when it's over, you go, ah, I don't know. I guess I like I guess that Archer has to do something there. It felt very much like he has to carry the Kershara and the Vulcan thing. It's like what is he really doing here? Like right, what's going right. on? Yeah. It, I, that it struck me as just very similar to those other episodes and ending this way and I didn't dislike it. I wasn't going like this is horrible. This is a bad time, but it just ultimately all felt like a race to the finish line throw the plot pieces in there, make your canon connections, mention section 31 and then get out. And I think, I think I like the first part yeah. better than that, but I, I think it might just be a victim of Star Trek. Can't wrap up multi-part episodes particularly well as a franchise. Yeah. I was really surprised to see Archer show up at, at like at the lab at the end, just walks in the door um, before. <laughs> yeah. He just shows up. Like I didn't even, I wasn't even totally sure how they made it, but until then the guy's fr- son comes yeah. in. Um, but even still it was, it was, kind of surprising to see him just show up and then it's like oh of course we need to put archer at the center of the of the problem here at the end so we'll inject him with this uh yeah. serum or whatever even though it would probably make more sense if it was flocks who was doing that but <clears throat> you gotta ha- you gotta have archer in there now that he's uh he's been promoted to um god emperor of enterprise yeah, yeah. he needs to be in uh, that position i, I honestly and like in truthfulness i've ki- kind of lost the plot about what was going on in terms of the virus status at that point. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I think I vaguely understand what what's happened here and like what the things were, but there was, it felt like the virus plot was, a, there were a lot of different characters with different motivations for what they wanted to vi- the virus to do. And I kind of know where it has to end up. So I'm really only paying attention to how are they going to get to the place where I know that this has to go really. And it was less of the, mm-hmm. uh, less about the interplay between the different points of view about the Uncle Phil Klingon wants to make augment Klingon warriors. The other guy just wants to blow it all up to get rid of it. And there's like the middle ground and stuff like that. It, it's just more more of the same, mm-hmm. I guess, would be my my takeaway from it. Yeah, I liked I liked that there was some. I liked what they did with Uncle Phil in this one, um, giving giving him that son plot. And uh, <clears throat> making him sort of the middle ground of the three of them, where he was trying to get this done uh, in some sense to honor his son, but also because it was his job. Uh, and then to work as a counterpoint to him, you you had the uh, the worm guy, the worm eating guy, who's there because he wants the super soldiers, like Uncle Phil doesn't really want the super soldiers he just wants his son not to have died for nothing you know um so i like that i like that bit um which is kind of why i i got i was a little bit bummed out that they uh leaned into the the uh canon connections 
so much because I think there was a lot there to work with that you didn't really need to to put too fine a point on. Oh, I got it. That's there you it. Go. There we go. Would you? Would you? <clears throat> I agree. I yeah. I, I actually felt like the. It's weird. I, I I noticed the canon connections in the other episode maybe more than this one. I don't know if it was just the pace, the relentlessness of the pace of this one that kind of distracted mm-hmm. from me. But would you agree that did you do you? Would you say this is one of the stronger mini arcs in this season, or do you think that this is not? Yeah. Okay. Why? Why do you think that is? Because yeah. I think we have such. I think we have. Maybe we haven't talked about it yet, but I think we both have problems with these two episodes. Like we both gave the other episode a three, I think, or maybe you gave it a four. But it's. I, I, I think I gave it a low four. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I like it, and I guess my difficulty is I think that there's so much I dislike about it. I wonder what makes me like it. What, what, what sort of sticks out to you as something mm-hmm. that's really positive about these two episodes or this one, I guess, in particular? Well, I think overall, the the thing I liked about the last one was that it seemed like they were doing more stuff instead of just sticking to the traditional uh, formula. Yeah. Um, Huge A plot, minor like everybody B plot, seemed, maybe, as an Enterprise thing. Yeah, and almost everybody had something interesting to do. Um, <clears throat> I think they're hamstrung in this one a bit by not only canon connections, but how do you get Trip back onto the ship, which is yeah. clearly... <laughs> <laughs> literally and uh figuratively i yeah. guess um because i thought the way that they maneuver him to stay on the enterprise was really fucking weak sorry is, like he's just like no nah, is he on the enterprise oh i'm just gonna hang out yeah but well, he's temp like at this point he's temporarily on the enterprise right is that what, what's happened okay. yeah temper temporarily for the next six <laughs> episodes until the show's <laughs> over <laughs> you know like it's at that point like why even bother you mm-hmm. know uh, if if you're just gonna come up with a bullshit reason to put him back on the ship like that, um, him into Paul. I mean, I don't know, mate. Sorry, him into Paul. Is this good or is this unbelievably frustrating? Dick T stuff at this point that what they're doing, <laughs> where the conversation that they have with each other in this one is, she's like, "So you having trouble sleeping?" He's like, "Nope, sleeping fine. How about you?" She's like, "Nope, sleeping fine. All right, see ya." Are they ever going to talk about anything, or is this just the this just the way the season is going to go? Where they both just ask each other if they're thinking about each other? Well, you know, the subtext is that they're thinking about each other while they talk about the weather or something. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure they're going to. I mean, I, I think they're just teasing it out. Um, <clears throat> is it too I mean, slow? That, Does it? They've. Nah, I don't. I don't. I don't really mind it that much. Mm. Like I, I. I don't. Especially here. Not the time to start that conversation. I would agree. Yeah, you know, that's, that's it's fair. Like, <laughs> they've, there have been other episodes where they've dropped it in, and it's like, this is an interesting time to bring this up. Maybe you could have waited till after the, the catastrophe was averted. Um, but this one, it didn't. I, I feel like they, since he had been gone, even though I think he'd only been gone for like five yeah, days yeah, or something, days. I don't, he had not been off the ship for a very long time. It was kind of like when the, the, the kid who graduates high school comes back it, like eight days later mm-hmm. just to hang out during yep. lunch it's like yeah man you know it's not you're not you're not cool <laughs> just because you don't go here anymore you got to give it a little space um but yeah i i don't i don't mind i'm sure they're they're going to get to it sooner than later because they don't have much time anyway no they don't have much time i just i think i'm pretty torn now about <clears throat> i would agree with you that maybe this is not the best time to bring it up but the the melodramaness of they're acting very young at this point. And like I it, it's mm-hmm. it's now it's kind of cutesy when it was earlier and it was kind of like a sort of like, well, we're, you know, we're both coworkers and we're just you're a Vulcan and your cold illog- or your cold logical approach is kind of difficult to break through. I don't know what this really is. Now this is just um like junior high level stuff where it's like, can someone just mm-hmm. explain you know, or just like, just go your separate ways or just get the conversation over with. I'm just, I think I'm a little bit frustrated with it at this point. Like, but I, you know, like I, I think it's, I think that my favorite Star Trek romance is still Worf and Jedzia Dax really just because that felt, yeah. it felt like a well, legitimate relationship between two people that they, yeah. they did play the, the Klingon nest was played for jokes and her, um, Worf's insecurity that she'd been with so many people as a symbiont is kind of funny. Like, they had stuff like that, but they they interacted 
as a couple very believably and at a pace that I felt was appropriate for television or yeah, whatever. Yeah. This just I don't I don't know where this is going. It's 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 a similar criticism to just kind of enterprise what we're talking what I was talking about with like the virus augment thing, which is like something's happening, but it never really feels like the show is aware of what it should say about what this is. It, it knows it needs to get the mm-hmm. virus augment story done and it needs to move it to the end line, but it doesn't feel like the show really understands what the relationship between these two characters is at this point or like what they would want to talk about. So it's similar to the Temple Cold War. It's like kick the can down the road. One writer gets a script. It's like, I don't want to deal with this. Someone else yeah. will deal with this. <clears throat> I will say that I think the the thing that makes it feel drawn out is that there is actually so little substance to their actual relationship. Yeah. Like uh, <clears throat> Jedzia and Worf, they had a lot going on. Mm. Like they were, there was a lot of stuff going on there. So you have more to play with and more to be left unsaid. Whereas this relationship, they kind of really don't have that much to talk about right. with the, <laughs> as far as the relationship goes. Because yes. they were, you know, they got close because they were massaging each other. And then they had they slept with each other once, yep. and then it's kind of like that's it. And then ever since then, it's been kind of like dancing around it. And but it's, there's not really anything to dance around. And by this point, it's like they've been avoiding it so long. You would think they would naturally have just moved on. Yeah, right. Yeah, <clears throat> there, there's right. There's but, no you know, there's no fire either that makes me understand why they continue to cling to each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that, you get. They they have done very well with small scenes that give you little bits of 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 fire, if you will. Yeah. Um, mostly, mostly they get a lot of mileage out of Topal calling him by his name. Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> but uh, yeah, you don't. That there's not really. You don't, yeah. You don't feel like there's there's any kind of like heat or undeniable attraction between right. them, because it doesn't help that one of them is trying to play it cool and the other one's a fucking Vulcan. Yeah. So it's <laughs> well, that's the. It's kind of hard to feel the heat in that relationship. It is. I, th- I think that's where trip trip takes the importance in that writing situation, where trip has to. Right. You have to walk yeah. a very fine line where trip can't seem like he's this sort of angsty teenager, but his frustration has to be the focal point because to Paul can't play that role uh authentically right yeah we'll we'll see where they go there's not much else to say about them in terms of this um uh what else is there to say about the episode i mean klingons seem kind of similar to the what they were last episode i don't really have much else to add on to them here um yeah i i like the klingons overall in these two episodes i think they were good yeah um does this canon thing uh, again, work? The for flatheads. You? Yeah. Does the does the flatheaded smooth like? Are you happy that yeah, this question has been answered through the course of this arc? No, I don't yeah. care. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I I don't. Um, yeah, it, like that's what I mean. Like I, the last episode, I didn't mind it because it was I f- I felt like it was in service of this larger ethical story that they're telling. Yeah. And by the time they get to this one, I think because there are so many things going on that are more actiony than the core ethical stuff that they're playing with, um, it seems like the the smooth forehead thing is is being pushed to the front a little bit, and I I don't really care for it. Like it 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 doesn't really um, it doesn't really interest me. Yeah, I think I think it's. In some ways, it's similar to the Cyrenite arc to me, which is that you've created two different kinds of Klingon societies, right? But while they go out of their way in this one to say that the human augmented Klingons are becoming more human and have a sort of different outlook on life than the regular Klingons, the episode itself has characters who are like, no matter what you look like, you're still the heart of a Klingon. You still, like, you're still okay. Mm -hmm. So it has this... Cyrenite arc problem where I don't really understand wouldn't it be more interesting to have a schism 
between the two groups. I know that that's not really the point of this one, but when you're drawing two separate Klingon cultures, when you do it this way, it just becomes like patently obvious to me that you're doing it to explain canon situations. It's not because there's a story right, here that yeah. really divides the Klingons and like the smooth head yeah. ones have to do this and the other ones have to do this or like the the combining of the DNA has led to a humanized Klingon and what does that mean for the Empire and stuff like that. So I don't know if I, it's fair to hold it against the show, but I got the sense from these that as much as like some of it was pretty cool or involving the human augment DNA to make this happen is kind of a neat twist and like this, the, the way that they explore Klingon healing and science is kind of a unique thing that none of the series have ever done. By the time I get to the end of it, I just look at it and go, well, you connected the dot, Enterprise. You you answered right. a question yeah. that fa- apparently fans were wondering about, but I don't really, like, I've never thought of it outside of that's how makeup looks in the movies. They just look different. I, yeah. You know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the problem with these, with these canon things, whether it's an episode of TV or if, a movie or whatever, is if you're, if you're putting your story in the position of that this one is in you can't do anything to move anything forward you're you're a slave to the f- the, the most forward movement you, you can only get back to the line of scrimmage you know what yeah, i mean yeah. like you can't you can't gain any yards <clears throat> um because if you tried to push it further then that just brings up questions that don't make any logical sense within the world that's already it's the we've talked about it a million times but it's the it's the discovery problem it's like yeah you can introduce the the new ship but that ship has to be wiped from history by the yeah. end of the second season otherwise everything else doesn't work um so yeah it's i, I think of it i think of it in terms of sorry I, I think of it in terms of like i'm playing red dead redemption <laughs> 2 currently and it's a prequel <laughs> to red dead redemption 1 but what it does very successfully as a prequel is what I think the goal of pretty much all prequels kind of should be because I don't see why they exist outside of this is that after you play Red Dead Redemption 2, the events of the later movie which came before or game came, which came before it, has a, you have a different perspective on what those characters did in that one because you now know this sort sure, of backstory sure. that caused them to react the way that they do later on. Mm-hmm. I don't think that these stories allow Enterprise to do that because – you already know this very well-established endgame of where you have to get to, but nothing that Archer does really changes how you view the the series that came before Enterprise, which happened later in the timeline. You, you it's all the same still. Right. It's just a. Right. Yeah. It's just connecting of these dots that will get to that point of where you understand how the plot worked, but there's nothing that challenges Klingon culture or human Klingon relationships in this in a way that you go, oh, that's interesting. And that actually changes how the Klingons and humans interact later in the series. And I kind of understand that. I I don't think that that's well played in these uh, prequel episodes. Yeah, the events of these two episodes don't recontextualize the reveal of the Klingon in Trouble with Tribbles or anything. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it doesn't, uh, it, it, like you said, yeah, you get to the end and it's like anything interesting has kind of been wiped from the table uh, in favor of just setting things back to uh, canon zero. Yeah. Would you, in retrospect, would you have told this story just in terms of is it necessary? Even if you like the episodes, like, like are there are there questions that are left better unanswered in, in a series? Um. Sure. Yeah, I think I think there are questions that are left uh, that better left unanswered, but I I don't think I would not tell the story. I think I would probably end it differently or put focus on something different. Um just because like I said, uh, you can use that canon stuff as bits as part of the story. But if that becomes kind of like the the wrap up is just sort of tying up loose ends, then you're in trouble. Like I think there's enough going on in these two stories that actually do move things things forward. Like like I think the Klingon medical stuff is really fascinating. Yeah, it's neat. That's something we've never seen. Like if 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 I have to if you have to go through the idea of okay, we're going to use this flat flathead Klingon thing 
to get us into this concept of Klingon medical society, go for it. Awesome. Yeah. Love it. Um, but yeah, I think they kind of just push to the side all the interesting stuff that is kind of pushing things forward in the Star Trek universe in favor of action sequences and, you know, this is this is why they look this way is because they all they all have Jonathan Archer's DNA now, so they're all got flathead Julius Caesar haircuts in, in the <laughs> well, in that, TOS. That's what I liked about the um, the Klingons volunteering to. They have four Klingons. They have four strains. They need to figure out which one of them is actually going to be the one that works. So they volunteered to do it. What I liked about that is that that felt to me what the focal point of the episode should have been because we've recently gone through the COVID pandemic, yeah. right? And the vaccine was invented over the course of like 48 hours because once they had the genome of the virus, they were able to replicate a mRNA vaccine uh, lickety split. The approval mm-hmm. process is what took us over a year to get the thing out the door, right? So what they did not do in COVID, at least as far as I'm understanding, is that there was no capability for people to do those trials that are like people willingly get infected with the virus to see what the vaccine does. So mm-hmm. the Pfizer the Pfizer trials were based on the fact that you give people the vaccine, you let them walk around in the real world, and hopefully they'll come into contact with the virus, but you're not going to force the virus onto them to see what happens. And there's a lot of, there's been discussions about once you have this vaccine, isn't it more ethical and you would save more lives if you allow volunteers to willingly get infected with COVID to see if the vaccines right. are effective? And I thought that while that plays out in real life, the Klingon aspect here is I thought that they were going to do a sort of glory to the empire thing where the Klingon's choice and their cultural outlook on what a willing human trial would look like actually Mm -hmm. gives them a little bit of like a uniqueness to their culture where the greatest warriors sacrifice themselves in order for this to happen. But Mm -hmm. while it's set up that way, I don't think that they pay it off in a way that it's this dramatic like sacrifice that the Klingons make in order to separate themselves from how flocks and the humans would do something. And it shows how their culture is different and led to maybe an even better outcome. It it just didn't do that. It was disappointing. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that would, that would be in line with the stuff they got into is showing you a new part of Klingon culture and, and how it uh, is affected by this element. And I think that would be really interesting, but yeah, they don't, they don't really do that, unfortunately. And they, you don't really get anything, as interesting as the the problems are they don't really amount to much outside of just solving the problem a lot of shaking rooms um, <laughs> racing against the shaking a lot rooms. of shaking rooms yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah and i do think that the the uh the klingon scientist probably should have died you know he, he should have right it's yeah i don't yeah yeah, you get when when you come away at the end, and he's like, "Oh well, it's gonna take some getting used to this smooth forehead that I have now." It's like, really, that's what we're ending this story about—the guy who accidentally released this yeah. virus and killed a shitload of people—is <laughs> now he's gonna live with a flat forehead. But you, you know why they? <laughs> and I'm not saying. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not saying that like. I'm not trying to use the uh, 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 the hammer of morality here and say that since he caused everybody to die, he himself he, he should be die. killed. Yeah, but it's like it's the, the wrap up doesn't seem to fit the weight of the things that they're talking about. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree. I I don't know if you're supposed to think that he. That this is such a slight on Klingons that they look this way that it's almost it's like it's a fate worse than death. They they don't really sell that angle that this is what it is, even though some of the Klingons seem to feel that way. But as I said before, I wish they had never brought that up. I wish they never brought that stuff up. Brought what stuff up? Sorry, the the fact that they were going to be pariahs and that they're weaker and all that kind of stuff. Because I think then you start getting too into the weeds of what the flathead stuff means instead of just using it as your avenue into this other more interesting stuff. Yeah. Because once you start talking about, oh, well, everyone who looks like this is going to be a pariah and they're weaker than everyone. And it's like, okay, well, now that's become the point of what you're doing here. And 
you're explaining how this affects everybody instead of just using this quirk of time over the way the way makeup has changed in the past Budgets, 65 yeah, years the movies had a big budget yeah to get you into an, a really interesting situation uh sorry i didn't mean to, to cut you off no that, that and i think my final point would just be that even the ending there is a canon connection because they leave the guy alive and he's smooth-headed but flox's final line to him is that cranial reconstruction is going places and people will probably be able to look normal. That's uh, that's that seems only inserted there because they know that in the future there are going to be Klingons that we see both smooth-headed and rough-headed who have undergone some kind of reconstruction because the uh, oh, the Klingons sure. in the DS9 and that blood who show up, yeah. are original yeah. series Klingons who did not look that way in the original series. So Yeah. It, well, I my thought was my thought was the fact that there are no more flat-headed Klingons after TOS means either they cured the virus or they just killed them all. Right, which I think would be more interesting if it was a, if the Klingons Sure, yeah. If the Klingons decided to purge themselves of this weaker sect. I Sure. There's actually something like I, I think they they run into problems there because the Klingons of TOS treat themselves like they are members of the Empire. They're they're never portrayed as if they're some mm-hmm. kind of sect that's not a main part of what the Klingons right. are. So they're they're stuck. Yeah, it's yeah. it's that thing. All right. I mean that's part of the problem too because you've um you don't you kind of the stuff that they do in this episode causes you to view the TOS stuff in a different light, but not in the way you were talking about. Because when you get those scenes where they're like, we're going to be outcasts, we're going to be pariahs and we're weaker. And then you jump to TOS and it's like, these guys are like at the top of the Klingon yeah. hierarchy. Those are the ones that you're dealing with. Yep. Are these flat-headed, I mean, I guess a hundred years has gone by. Crazier shit has happened than those people, than the balance of power shifting. Uh, but if you look at the entire history of Star Trek, with this new knowledge, there was just this weird period where the flat-headed people like rose to prominence, yeah. and then they were gone shortly after. Never to <laughs> they, be they seen. They were like from the again. Whig political party in the U.S. history. They're just there for a blip right. of time yeah. and then gone. It, yeah. it was like when when Cromwell took over England, and then like <laughs> five years later, however many years later, they killed him and brought 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 the king back in. Right. Yep. I, I'm sorry if I butchered that English history, but <clears throat> you always got to bring you got to bring in like Dutch kings and stuff. You got to bring in James the second or whatever, and he just he just takes over for that. That's why Scotland's in, that's why Scotland's important because technically it's a separate country, but they always end up ruling England. That's right. The bloodline bloodline will bring you back down. South or maybe of the border. it's the other way. Maybe England always rules <laughs> Scotland. I don't know. <laughs> Jacobite revolution. Listen, my my English history, my European history goes back to about 1914. Anything past that, I'm just making it up. So. Right. The only thing, that, yeah, the only thing that matters is where we came from, where America came from, 1776, 1619, I suppose, in modern parlance. Um, I guess we're done with this one, right? Yeah, I don't think I have much else to say. We'll, yeah. we'll go to a couple of patron comments, maybe my, a little spur or something. My only other thing I was going to mention was um, you get to see a lot of uh, Balthasar Edison in this one, or the, the Mako who... Most oh, likely could be Balthazar. Yeah, the- he's <laughs> yeah, he's in both of them. Like it was, it's the first time the the uh, the back to back episodes for budget stood out to me because that guy stands out to me so much because yeah. I in my head that's he's the Idris Elba character. So seeing him in both episodes, I was like, oh yeah, I guess they really did just shoot both of these with the same exact same cast over like two days yep. or whatever. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I've, the Mako is just uh, Kirk. Have you ever had to hang out? With Malcolm Reed. So boring. <laughs> so short, so boring. We didn't really talk about I mean let's just do let's do a minute on Reed here. Too little, too late to flesh out Malcolm Reed's character. Does this feel oh, any different time. than the yeah. Klingon thing? Is there a sense that there was a purpose to this? Does he make sense as a section thirty one character? No to everything. Like, <laughs> I, t- I mean, I guess they're coming back, so we'll see what happens. But, like, to introduce Section 31, have Malcolm do enough to create a semi-interesting plot but not give him enough information that he can really be, like, culpable for what he's doing is an odd yeah, choice. Yeah. Because at this point you have to 
you really can't sacrifice his character the way you would need to if it's like, oh, Malcolm works for Section 31. He's always worked for Section 31. You can't trust this guy. Like, you have to give him the 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 benefit of uh, believable deniability for for the things that he is or isn't doing where he's like I don't know what's going on this is what I was supposed to do that's all I know yeah um and then at the end he just chooses not to be in it anymore yeah just tells the guy like, I don't eh, want don't, this don't <laughs> yeah stop calling I'm not donating any more money yeah it's, it's weird because section I mean obviously like I said they're coming back so I'm assuming he's not getting off that easy but no I I mean my just my understanding is that, like, after you tell Section 31 off, you spend the rest of your evening looking at the door, right? Like, you're like, they're right. coming for yes. me. This is what this agency yeah. is. They're, like, covert sort of, you can't ever leave them. They will find you. I My main takeaway well, was... Well, luckily, with all that leather they wear, you can hear I, them, you can hear them like, all the way swishing, down the hall. So. Swishing down the, down the, uh, rit, down the hall. Rit, 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 I am um, water, my only enemy. I think that um, it really, the the longer, I continue to just, I adore Section 31 and DS9. I think it was like a brilliant little creation that across three episodes was basically so much of what that series represented. It had a great performance from William Sadler as Sloan, mm-hmm. who's competent, somewhat frightening, but has a point of view and is like, feels fully fleshed out in what that world is supposed to be to enterprises take, which is a guy wearing the same clothes who does not intimidate me whatsoever. There's like nothing scary about him. He has no power because they can't get to where enterprises like as we mentioned before, it's too early for section 31 to have technological capabilities that would allow them to do anything on a galactic level like this. And they just, even if it was part of the plan, the whole thing of like, well, you changed the deal and now we're screwed. It just, that felt like the worst way that you can treat what this organization is supposed to be. I would just, I would just stop showing them at this point. It's not an original thought, but you're not getting anything from this. It's, it's the misunderstanding of why section 31 worked in DS9. Section 31 works in DS9 because it is it fits the tone of that show perfectly. Like the tone and the themes and everything that they've set up through that whole series works perfectly and and sets up Section 31 very well to to be this sort of ambiguous uh uh entity of Starfleet. You can't just pick and choose you can't just pluck that out and use it in something else and have it make sense and they keep trying to do it and it never works like it's like uh it's like after after watchmen and uh dark knight returns came out everyone was like man i get it should we give superman a fucking gun (laughs) you know and it's it's like no you're missing the point don't have superman start breaking people's backs and shit (laughs) It's it's it doesn't work that way. Yeah, you're 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 not taking the right lesson out of out of why these things work. Um, it just doesn't fit the tone for Enterprise. Enterprise is not like nothing about Enterprise says secret Starfleet underhanded yeah. uh, espionage unit. Yeah. It's like it's about bringing these elements together and stuff and, and it's about naivete yeah it's more just than doesn't that fit. like ds9 yeah. is not about yeah. D, section 31 is the opposite of being naive in ds9 they are the ones that know everything and it's whether or not their mm-hmm. approach to what they know is a ethical approach that star trek would agree with or disagree with this one is just and like you've built the show around archer who's kind of like a bumbling not particularly good at anything character. So to have this infrastructure that's behind him that has been built up to be hyper-competent is like they don't, there's no reason they should exist and they don't have anything to say in this show. So I agree with you. I, you know, like I said previously, if it was some different version of Section 31 yeah. that matched the tone and time frame of this show... To, to to show maybe even the naivete of an early version of Section 31. Maybe they are making the wrong decisions. Maybe they're doing things wrong because they've 
never dealt with anybody off planet before, yeah. you know, whatever. But um, that I think would work a lot better I, I, than yeah. uh, just, yeah. you know. I, I think that, I, I think you could see them exist in this era as a military force that has kind of been pushed aside because now humanity is focused on this exploration angle, which is, which does fit Reed's character because he's supposed to be the military man, right? But the yeah. military doesn't seem to exist in the way that it does. I think that you could have set them up as a kind of power struggle between the optimism of Starfleet versus this old Earth thing of like, well, you need a military if you're going to go out into space and you're going to do stuff. And I think that that works better with Section well, 31's origins in some ways. You know, you know what it should have been? It should have been, it should have been what the Makos turn into. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Because, yeah. I mean, that's the entire story from Star Trek Beyond is that uh, Edison can't deal with the new non-violent uh, tack that the, that Starfleet's taking because he feels like it's really naive and he's more he's more attuned to the uh, realities of warfare. Yeah. So the t- they took um, our jobs argument from South Park, basically, is his, yeah, yes. his point. Yeah. But but it would make sense that as Starfleet turns more nonviolent, if you want to say that they ha- ever did, uh, the milita- the more military wing starts becoming more specialized, and yeah. that's when you get that's what Section Thirty One gets born out of. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with that. Like if you had kept Hayes around, if you had kept Major, is that what his name Major Hayes? Yeah, Mako, Major Hayes. Who, yeah, who, uh, the third season. Yeah, if you had kept him around and like started pushing him that way so like at the end of the show the implication is that he is the first head of section 31 yeah that'd be really interesting that'd be cool yeah yep and i think you'd avoid the problem of showing too much you know you do it they they do here they never actually call this guy section 31 he mentions section 31 as part of like a paragraph of Mm -hmm. powers or something in the federation but he never calls himself that i think that would have been the way to go All right, we'll wrap it up. That's Divergence. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. If you enjoyed the show enough to financially support us, you can go to patreon.com slash thepenskefile. It's the best way to support this podcast and all the other podcasts under the Penskefile network. You get extra stuff, extra podcasts. Clay and Amanda have been doing uh, Friday the 13th for the past year, so there's a running series. (laughs) I have random sci-fi movies that I do with Clay. There's a whole bunch of other stuff we did Battlestar Galactica there's like a hundred podcasts that you can pick and choose from so patreon.com slash the Penske file and if you want to support the show at the highest tier you get a special thank you in addition to other perks but here's the special thank you it's the easiest one for me to do special thank you goes to Samuel Custer Tarek Latif Joint Mango Andrew Sherlock Cal Barrett Mike Burnett Matthew Russ Christian Pouch Brandon Howes Matt Cutler Michael Pond Nick Sergey Grimsando Grimsanto Sean Bradley Killens Dwayne Hackett Vault 13 Hero Jarth Moss Kevin Reyes Jordan Cooper Russell Ellis Stephen Minton HH28 Derek Zazak Paul Roscoe Jig 123.xg Patrick Sebo Nick the Rat Dave Davies Grapple John Zorn Captain Brazen Eric Santuan Jake Keys Gamer Kevin Larry William Scheisler Rahan Jaffer Soylent Blue Zane Majors Olivier Pardur Retail, Dizbrada, Ed, uh, Tom Hickey, Ed Mark Starr, Jose Hunter, ZW, Enough Remixes, Captain McMunchausen, James McGlenn, and Beal Jonas, Tommy Tango, Duvix Must Die, Chris McLaughlin, and Chase Jackson. Thank you very much, everybody, for supporting the show. And now we'll go to our patron comments. If you leave a, if you are a patron, you can leave your comments on the Patreon page, and we read them on the podcast. There's only three because we are so far ahead, Clay. Kyle Barrett says, Divergence. This two-parter, which Manny Cotto thinks is the best of the season, is an absolute hodgepodge of ideas and character drama that doesn't quite land, but at least it's fun. Sure, why not explore what it means to be a Klingon scientist, dedicate 15 minutes to a speed homage, and tie in Section 31 augments and TOS Klingons at the same time? It's a bizarre switch to have Section 31 try to cure the virus while Enterprise inadvertently tries to stop that from happening with their rescue attempt. Unless Section 31 gave the Klingons the augment DNA in the first place, there's no reason for this to be a mystery or conspiracy at all. It's so contrived. It was a tight leather attracting Reed to Section 31, but he left because they wouldn't let him wear his assless chaps and leather cap while out on missions. Barely a three out of five. Yeah, I I did think that the the, uh, backflipping of the mechanics of the quote-unquote mystery were, I didn't know why they needed to do that stuff. Like, including all the Section 31 stuff. I'm, I still am not even totally sure what happened. I'm not, I'm not either. Um, I, I kind of avoided talking about it because yeah. I don't really understand what the plot was in general. Like, or I like, I, I, I thought it was kind of interesting that Section 31's purpose was to keep the Empire strong. 
they thought that the galaxy was better served by having a strong Klingon right. empire is kind of a neat thing that I was like, are they going to talk about this? Like, what is this? What does this mean? And no, no, they didn't talk about it. Maras. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a weird. <laughs> it's a lot of. The, he's right. There's so much stuff going on in these two episodes. Like it, the, you couldn't get, you could get a good story out of most of them in their own episode yeah. you know <laughs> there's, there's just so much going on that it does it really does take away from i think what what are the uh the 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 better ideas and the stronger i mean it's like, like if you're tying it in i think that there's a way that makes this feel very section 31e in a ds9 kind of way where in response to the episodes that we've had previously where we've dealt with an increasing romulan threat the way that Section 31 thinks to neutralize the Romulan threat is to make sure that the Klingon Empire is there at strength. You know what I mean? To 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 keep it less of like if the if the humans were to lose the Klingons, then the Romulans would have an easier time taking out the humans. So the humans think that we need to prop up Klingons to make sure that there's a barrier against the Romulans, but they never really touch on that. I think that that's the way that you would go with that, in my opinion, anyway. Well, you know how I would introduce Section Thirty One in Enterprise. I would, um, if you're not going to do the Mako thing, I would introduce them as an element that has already been out into space before Enterprise. Mm-hmm. So they come into contact. Enterprise comes into contact with contact with these guys. You know, they show up at a planet, and then there are humans there. Why are there humans here? We we are the first people to be flying out this far. And then they talk to these guys, and they're like, "Are you high? Do you think we're going to send a <laughs> science vessel out right. first into unknown space? We've been out here for twenty five years fighting these guys. Yeah. You know, yeah. like laying the groundwork for so you guys can come out here and take the credit as the people who are laying, you know, spreading the the gospel of Earth yeah. out here. You know, it, it it it's it's not all peace and it's not all uh, sunshine and rainbows, as Rocky would say. You know, yeah, no, I could see that." Yeah, I think that I think there's just a lot of ways you could go. They didn't didn't have time. Sure. It's just a race against the clock. I think for this show at this point. Matt Ross says divergence. So there must have been a missing conversation somewhere. Suddenly, Reed is out of jail. Columbia is conveniently nearby, and it's odd that the new non-entity engineer can't fix the warp drive. I presume the Columbia's transporter was not working due to plot reasons, making the whole opening acts half acts half thought out. And again, having Tucker back only shows why they should not have moved him for a plot contrivance in the first place. Reed's conspiracy nonsense is not clear in its motivation other than trying to tie into DS9's better showing of the evil Section 31. Again, Enterprise relies on Action Archer to the rescue with a ridiculous pseudo-medical science and fake pain groans. The awkward trip into Paul conversation, instead of making me intrigued, makes me want to yell angrily, Get a room! Well, at least that loose end of TOS is wrapped up, and the paper towel roll is still in sickbay, thankfully. Two tan makeup pads out of five. And finally, our last Paper comment, Grappler John Zorn says, Divergence, let me get this right. If I'm a Klingon and I take Phylloxy's, it's a portmanteau of Fauci and Phylloxy's Phlox, vaccine, other people perceive me to be human. But if I don't take the vaccine, I might die, but I still look like a Klingon. Either way, I'm still a Klingon on the inside. Odd that Enterprise nailed this Nostradamus moment way better than anything else it ever had to say. Fun episode. Four out of five. Thank you, patrons. Well, I mean, if you don't take the vaccine, you still get flathead disease. Yep. You just die at the end of it. Yeah. <clears throat> yep. So you don't look like a Klingon either way. So, Thank you very much, patrons, for leaving your thoughts. There's only three. It was a quick one. Very easy. Let me say, there's no one else here, right? Did I miss somebody? No. I didn't miss anybody. That's it. All right, we're done. Thank you very much, patrons. Patreon.com slash the Penske file if you want to leave your thoughts about upcoming episodes and you want to support the show. That's where you do it. Thank you very much for supporting us. Thank you for listening. Clay, seemed like a bunch of threes. Two threes. No, it averaged out to a three. We had a two, a three, and a four from our patrons here. What are you going to give this one? Now we're getting deeper into season four, and my ratings are becoming a little bit more confusing to me as to what I'm supposed to give these things. Yeah. Um... I'll give it a three. I think it's a. I think, given all the balls they threw in the air in the last one, it was a it was a fun, interesting uh, way to to round it out. But it it does it suffers from the same problems it always does. So it I it's not as good as the first episode, and it, and it uh, but it's it's fine. Yeah. Do I give it a three? 
I think I give it a three. I, I think I think to me it feels pretty similar to the first one, except that the first one it, mm-hmm. it just suffers from the problem of they have to resolve the stuff now in this one. Um, I think I'll give it a three. I like this. I think this again. I think this is just my favorite of the mini arcs that they've done this season. Yeah. I think that it's it's like a fascinating semi failure in a lot of ways. Like there's some good points to it, but it's ultimately mm. like. I don't know if this was necessary, really, but you you tried your damnedest to do something, and it does feel like the show is right, right. is flailing to try to figure out how you do Star Trek going forward. Like, what do people want from this franchise? And it's interesting for that. I'll give it a three. So we'll both give it threes. Divergence. I I will retroactively give it a five if Archer still has the Klingon forehead bumps in the next. Episode. I liked it. It was subtle. It was nice. It's a nice, nice. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's a um, something we'll all look back on. I remember, I, I thought that there, there was a cut where Trip makes a sort of like sarcastic joke about him, and they did a a reaction shot of Archer going, "Oh, <laughs> I've never seen the show do that kind of reaction to a comment." I thought it was that was kind of funny. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for leaving your thoughts. patreoncom slash if you want to support the show. That's it. We go th- gave it a three. We're done with the Klingon augment arc and bound is next and bound is the very final standalone episode of star trek enterprise clay so we'll be back next week with bound do you have anything you want to say uh what month are we in is this january january i believe okay well we will have at this point finished friday the 13th on patreon amanda and i and we will have uh figured out what our next year's Patreon Rotten Horror Picture Show episodes will be. Um, I got a few ideas. If I haven't already announced it by the time this comes out, it will should be pretty soon. Mm-hmm. And no whole new year with more content. That's why I have to go to Patreon. Uh, I don't think we have anything else going on. So buy my book, Bloody Hell. Yeah, book Bloody Hell is on on uh, on on the shelves now. You can get it from Amazon. Last time I checked, they you you mentioned they were almost sold out. I think uh, mm-hmm. on Amazon. Yes. And uh, you can get it from the publisher, A Wave Blue World, uh, or at comic book stores near you. Comixology as well. Um, it is available on that, obviously. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Bloody Hell is nice because uh, people who like you but don't like me can reward you and avoid me getting any kind of reward out of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's my core demographic that I'm going at. You know, I need to come up with some product that I have. I don't have a product. I have nothing. <laughs> I just remember there was some comment on Reddit about the show. I thought it was funny. It just it struck me as um, as that because um, I think I shared it with you. It was some comment that was uh, he clearly doesn't like me, but he likes you or he or she, whoever wrote this thing. <laughs> but they were they were saying like 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 damn that Wes and his terrible art school proclamations i'm like clay literally went to fucking art school people (laughs) it's the most inaccurate summation i think i've ever had i was i was personally offended that i think i I think he might have actually confused our names and doesn't actually know which person is which person that's my that's my goal that's my dream that's also very also very easy to believe (laughs) yes but show that person i've been continuing to give my pretentious art school opinions for years after that comment so how do you like that sir nope by clay's book, i am Bloody nothing Hell. but facts that's right by clay's book you can get it on all those sites i'll put a link down below if you're watching on the youtube video and i guess that's it we're done so happy 2022 if this does indeed come out in january we will be back with bound 